Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. This is the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm Tom Salemi, and I'm here with our great host, Steve Krupa. Hello, Steve Krupa. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. We're going to talk blockchain today, which is great ah, stuff. It's probably sure. the most fascinating thing I still don't quite understand, but I'm glad there are smart folks like you out there asking the right questions. We talked with uh, Peter Kim, the uh, CEO of Carissium. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a bit about the company? Yeah. I mean, I, I, for, firstly, I, I think you know, I actually get the question. I was uh, talking to a customer the, the other day, and they, they asked me about blockchain. And said, what do you think about blockchain? And, you know, <clears throat> the bottom line is, and we talk about this in, in the interview, you know, there are there are good applications for blockchain. It was originally developed uh, with the notion of, of creating a, uh, a uh, cryptocurrency, which is the most uh, well-known one of that is be Bitcoin. And we know, it, you know there, that that's been controversial and interesting, and so on and so forth. But really, the, the notion is uh, security. So the security of transactions and the ability to protect those transactions and the ability um, to know that the transaction is being is taking place or, or being undertaken in sort of a trusted environment under the assumption that anybody in that is in taking part in the transaction should be presumed to be untrustworthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. So the question is, you know, is there an application for this in in healthcare? And there is, uh, there is, and I, and I, I think that that, uh, that Peter's uncovered at least one of them, and that is this notion that if you're going to pay uh, providers for performance, you're going to want to have those providers deliver to you data that they would rather keep private uh, about them, their performance, or about their practice, or about their patients, or whatever it is. Um, but you want to be able to use that data to evaluate their performance and pay them on that basis. And so you can create a, a, a safe transaction for that data where you can, you know, where you can basically assure uh, that it will go nowhere other than to uh, create and enforce a transaction and then it will go back to its owner and nobody can get to it. And um, that's, that's, the, that's the application of, for blockchain, uh, which is a basically enabling... Um, forms of value-based reimbursement that might not be possible uh, if one party or both parties are concerned about sharing data with one another. So, quick question. Do you think there are a lot of different verticals where companies like this can can focus on healthcare, or is this really the primary touch point for for blockchain tech? Blockchain is, you know, is, you know in, in most of the world, you know, I'll give you an example. So, we, we don't Law firms have, uh, have have a practice where they main, they maintain escrows and trusts on behalf of families. They basically put themselves in a position, say, "I'm a trusted entity. Nothing, no one can come and 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 and, and access this, but you know, uh, two people." Then the the what's taking place is 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 trusted. It's 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 sort of governed by me. Uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, at some level, plays that role in term in in in, in a in a, uh, 
in, in currency, right? Uh, and the notion of a blockchain is to replace that with a, an, uh, not a person, but with a technology infrastructure that isn't owned or operated uh, by anybody who could be corrupt, right? Mm-hmm. So your lawyer could be corrupt. Uh, there are certainly examples of central banks throughout the world that turn out to be corrupt as two sort of examples. So if you if you then look in, and you say, well, where where would I rely on a trusted entity to, to serve as an intermediary? Um, you could look at any data transfer within the healthcare system, particularly clinical information, and recognize that if that clinical information is for the benefit of the parties, but there's a concern about it being shared or ultimately leaked uh, into the public domain or into a broader context, uh, you can apply this technology to protect it. And it really is at some level of protection notion. Cool. And we get into that on the call. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I learned a lot. That was a great conversation. Let's get into it. This is uh, Peter Kim of Carissium. Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast. I'm here with Peter Kim. Uh, the CEO and founder of Curizium. Hey, Peter, how are you? Hi, Steve. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. I guess it's a little bit earlier in the day for you over there on the West Coast, but I'm, I'm glad you can join us. Um, computer scientists today can work anywhere they want, you know, and you decided this is your, you know, I think it's your second or third company, uh, not as being the founder, but in the healthcare sector. Was there a reason why healthcare had an appeal to you? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. You know, <clears throat> I think uh, depending on whom you ask, um, you, you'll hear uh, certain people advising tech entrepreneurs to stay away from healthcare for a number of different reasons. But um, I'm masochistic enough to kind of stay here. Well, let me just interrupt you right there, just for one second. What are the reasons to stay away from healthcare? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I think people point to uh, kind of the difficult uh, regulatory framework that you have to navigate, um, and the generally uh, slow adopting nature of some of the larger players in the space. Um, and just, you know, I think, um, I, I think to, to view healthcare actually as a, just a, just a single vertical is almost too, too simplified, right? Because it, it is such a complex web of, of interconnected companies and micro ecosystems. Um, so um, I think one of the, one of the challenges is that if you try to go into healthcare without really understanding the intricacies and the nuances of how a lot of the different players interoperate, uh, you often end up with hypotheses that are, that are not uh, matched well with how the market really works, right? So a lot of people tend to fail by, um, for example, if you have uh, a couple of uh, engineers um, who have very little healthcare experience, kind of go into the proverbial garage and, and, and try to draw up a solution for healthcare that solves all of its problems, uh, those types of companies tend not to have a lot of success. But you decided to do it anyway. But, you know, I guess your, <laughs> your, your prior history, you've sort of learned something about it, but something had to get you in there first. Yeah, I started off uh, studying computer science uh, at Stanford. Um, and and my, my first uh, job out of school was uh, at a small um, CRM company called Epiphany. Um, which was uh, born during the first sort of dot-com era, right? Um, and I was fortunate enough to have joined that company when it was very small uh, and, and stayed through uh, to its IPO a couple of years later and, and pretty much have been uh, uh, hooked on sort of this small company to large company growth story ever since. Um, so, so after that, uh, I, I spent a bunch of time on Wall Street 
um, which is where actually I met my co-founder and CTO, Francis Lamb. And he and I joined what was then a uh, very small uh, prop trading desk inside of, a, inside of Deutsche Bank. Um, and he and I were responsible for building out the uh, technology and quant uh, aspects of that uh, group as, as, it, as it continued to grow uh, beyond just the uh, prop trading desk into eventually uh, spinning out into his own hedge fund uh, and running uh, a, a set of books globally uh, in the U.S. and in Europe and Asia. Um, and throughout, through that process, we uh, built out the uh, entire technical and quant infrastructure um, from the accounting system to the risk management software, to the portfolio management software, trade execution engine, uh, quant models, alpha generation models, and everything in between was kind of under our domain. Um, and then, um, so, so, so towards the end of that, um, I reconnected with a couple of my old colleagues from the Epiphany days, uh, Alon Rauer and Jeremy Rassin, who are the co-founders of Ation, and that is the the company that you're referring to in terms of the last company I was involved with in healthcare, and that was it. That was my first foray into healthcare. Um, and I believe you had Jeremy on your podcast as well a while back. A uh, good friend, friend of mine for uh, 20 years now. Um, but the idea behind Ation was to um, really build a, a sophisticated causal analytics platform uh, that could remove a lot of efficiencies and costs from the way uh, real-world evidence is being generated today. And a shameless plug, uh, you know, as I was the VP of engineering, Francis, uh, who joined me at, at the same time, was the VP of data science. And together with Alon and, and the rest of the team, we built out what, what is still today, uh, we think is far and away the most sophisticated uh, analytics platform for real-world evidence generation. Um, and, and it was during those, those four or five years where I was at Ation where, where I really learned a lot about kind of healthcare, the, the industry, um, uh, how it works, and what, what some of the inefficiencies are, and what some of the opportunities uh, are going forward as well. So if I tie those two ideas together just real quickly, and, and you, you tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but if I am, that's fine. Real-world evidence generation is, is a causational approach, right? You're trying to find causation in numbers and in analysis, right? And that, is that similar to what you're doing when you're trading, right? You're trying to find causation for valuation shifts in assets. Is that not true? Yeah, yeah that's absolutely right. And so, um, you know, when you're doing kind of big data analytics in, on Wall Street, first of all, the big data is much bigger in Wall Street than in healthcare. And even though uh, healthcare likes to think it has big data, it really can. <laughs> I would say that's true. It's bigger, but it's because there's, there's a lot of it, right? But it's, it's, it's constrained in that it's, you know, it's, it's very easy to measure, right? I would say that, you know, you know, you, if you, when you look at, you know, economic statistics or you look at trading prices, right, if you, believe in the, if you believe in anything, you know there's some information in the price where it is today, right? And then, you know, sort of the other things that you might posit could, you know, have an effect on the price. You can go get that data really easily, Absolutely. Right? And that's one of the fundamental challenges in healthcare is that we have a lot of data squirreled away, uh, but no real easy way to get at it. Cool. So you, 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 you know, I understand what goes on there on Wall Street a little bit. And um, you took that and you, uh, you, uh, re, you know, you applied it to, you know, real world evidence in, in healthcare, right? And, That's right. Yeah. And uh, did you get? Did you feel like you had conquered that challenge, and then you were ready for the next one? Is that is that what caused you to start a company, or did you come upon a concept along the way that where you said, "Wow." I can I can take what I know from a computer science and healthcare ecosystem point of view and 
and have an impact there? Where did where did the because you know for the for the listeners, um, Carizium is focusing on you know basically innovation in healthcare contracting, right? So where did that where did that come from? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think um, it was kind of a direct result of some of the learnings uh, I had while uh, at Ation. Um, and by the way, Ation has been quite well. Um, continue to grow. I think they're up to almost 100 people now. 100 people and a lot of computers. <laughs> and, and a lot of computers, right. Um, the kind of in parallel, though, um, you know, so both Francis and I um, are, are sort of avid technologists at heart. And sort of we've been kind of in and around the Bitcoin slash blockchain ecosystem for, for quite a while now. And so um, as the blockchain technology was being matured and being more accepted by um, the different different industries, um, we saw uh, this opportunity to apply some of its properties uh, in, in the uh, operationalization of contracting in healthcare, I would say, right? Um, so if, if you look at kind of Ation as the um, company that's going to ultimately be the de facto evidence generator uh, for healthcare, and I think it will, um, and there was an opportunity to then uh, become a, a build a company that would be really the contracting implementation slash operationalization layer uh, using kind of latest technologies such as blockchain and secure computation and a few others that we're using. And that's what uh, sort of prompted uh, uh, me to really start Curizium. So do you, when you're hanging out doing stuff in blockchain, do you need to be you need to have like an alias so nobody knows who you are? Is that the way that works? Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions around <laughs> blockchain. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, so I, I think um, there's a difference between like cryptocurrencies, which are one of the implementations and use cases of blockchain, versus the underlying technology blockchain itself, uh, which is where we're focused on it, applying that to non. Uh, cryptocurrency-related use cases in healthcare. So in, in our cases, we're, we're using some of the properties of blockchain, but not all of the properties of blockchain, uh, and, and just really kind of focusing in on the uh, on how it can help with innovative contracting arrangements. So just to be clear, were you looking for a application for blockchain, or did you come to contracting as the problem and blockchain as a way to affect the solution? I was definitely, definitely the latter. So, um, you know, I, now might be a good time to sort of take a slight uh, detour into kind of explaining what blockchain sure. really is at a high level and how, how we're thinking about it. I think um, there's uh, the, the easiest way to think about it, the way I think about it, um, and there's just a thousand and one different ways to explain what blockchain is and, and what it really has to offer. Um, but it's really just a cloud-like computational infrastructure at the end of the day. It happens to have a, a couple of unique properties, right? And the properties that are unique to blockchain are first that it's, and people use this term trustless. And that's kind of a strange term because what does it mean? Does it mean I don't trust it? You know, what, what does trustless really mean? Um, and that really means uh, you don't have to trust a single entity to vouch for the contents of what's in this distributed computing infrastructure. And, you know, it's 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 a weird word, right? It feels like it should be it 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 should be it it, can, it has a it, it contains inherent trust because you don't have to have trust. That, yeah, that's right. It, it's a strange term, but it, it it is pretty profound. So if you think about the day before uh, the Bitcoin white paper was released. Um, humanity did not have this capability, this capability of having a 
uh, distributed computational infrastructure that did not require the trust of a single party. Right? That was a, a technological capability that we did not possess. And now we have that, right? So it is a pretty profound thing. I think the implications will, will take uh, a good amount of time before it really uh, it's fully realized, right, in, in the different industries. And and not not to interrupt you, Peter, but it, it, in concept, when people think about blockchain in the Bitcoin cr- cryptocurrency world, the entity that it's replacing is sort of like the Federal Reserve, right? Um, it, it, it could be the Federal Reserve in, in the context of Bitcoin. It's also any of the banking institutions that traditionally kept the ledgers of account balances and such. Federal Reserve and its subsidiary banks, which are affiliated sure, banks. Sure. Yeah, okay. Right. And that's just important know. to note. I mean, if those two things aren't working in a trustworthy way, right, then you have a corrupt currency and a corrupt banking system. So, you know, obviously the way we deal with that is we create legal infrastructure around to create that trust that's as advanced over time. And this, this idea was, well, you don't really need to do that. You just need to have a route to create trust, I think to create you know, confidence that the transaction is not fraudulent, right? Yeah, that's right. Instead of saying, look, let's, Let's um, trust um, these middlemen to do the right things and then build penalties for them doing the wrong things. Let's just trust in cryptography and mathematics and let's just um, sort of remove that problem of trust altogether. Okay. Keep going, man. Thank you. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of um, irrefutable in the sense that um, there's a built-in timestamp to what gets reported on, on the blockchain, right? Um, so um, it is kind of... Uh, you know, and it's somewhat related to the trusted asset, but it's, it's in, in a way tamper-proof or highly tamper-resistant, right? So those are some interesting properties. Now, I, I will say, though, that the flip side is there are some negatives to a blockchain versus a traditional centralized database, and that is that it can be, it, it's quite expensive and efficient at the end of the day relative to a centralized solution. So that's the trade-off you're making. You're trading off uh, efficiency and cost for uh, this uh, high degree of, of trust uh, in the system. And is, is, is being anonymous an advantage to it, or is that just something else that can or, or can be there, but doesn't have to be there? I think that's, it's definitely something that can, but does not have to be there. And in our cases, um, uh, we, we are not really taking uh, advantage of the anonymity per se, uh, of the, in, in the same way that a, uh, Bitcoin or one of its, uh, uh, more uh, modern protocols, which which have very strong anonymous properties. That, that's not really where we're focusing on. Uh, we're really focusing on the irrefutable, uh, trustless uh, ledger aspect of, of blockchain. Pardon this interruption. Tom here. We're going to take a uh, just a quick break to tell you that we've uh, secured our first keynote for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. I am not able to tell you who it is just yet, but uh, the agenda is coming together. And people are registering, so please uh, don't wait too long. Go to dhis.net to register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th in Boston. Now let's get back into this conversation. So when you when you look at healthcare contracting, uh, what innovation are you trying to enable, and what problems do you think that's solving? So um, first of all, so what do we mean by innovative contracting, right? Um, it, it can mean a lot of different things. Um, so, so broadly speaking, anything that is not fee-for-service can be viewed as you know, an innovative or alternative. Um, so it could be uh, capitation-type models. It can be bundled or episodes of care. Uh, you could be talking about uh, you know, P4P quality me- measures. 
um, total cost of care that 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 is um, derived from, let's say, you know, outcomes-based uh, contracting, um, to all the way to kind of direct incentivization. I would categorize inside the innovative contracting bucket where, um, you know, if if there is is a way to effectively cost-effectively uh, with the right incentives aligned, uh, incentivize participation uh, participants to uh, provide ultimately better outcomes at lower cost. Um, that would be uh, that would fall under the under kind of the umbrella of what we think about as uh, new ways of contracting in healthcare. And so, um, having defined it, so you know how do how do we uh, help here? I think um, it, it, in trying to implement any one of these. Uh, models today, uh, one of the main challenges is simply it is quite difficult, costly, and inefficient and error prone to operationalize any of these, right? Um, and that's something we see, uh, a common theme that we see throughout the industry um, in multiple configurations of innovative contracting that is happening today, um, where, um, you know, just verifying the outcomes that are needed to implement the contracts. Um, dispersing the payments that are uh, that should be as a result of the contracts, um, you know, individual patient level outcomes that need to be verified are difficult to to uh, implement, um, and so there is this whole layer of uh, operationalization that is very difficult as a result of there not being a kind of a de facto platform that can handle all of these needs, and we we want to be that platform. Interesting. So when you say an opera operationalized, do you, you know, obviously there's a lot of a lot a lot to that. The first step is is why I can operationalize them and just get a bunch of people to run Excel spreadsheets. I can do something, right? And that, of course, is not a cost-effective way. But the first the first bundle was probably done on Excel, right? Can we both agree at least on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that you know, you know, going back to kind of why I'm in this space and staying in this space, you know, from from a technologist standpoint, who uh, who kind of so my career was really all about taking uh, cutting-edge technologies, applying it to different domains, and making things more efficient. Um, you know, healthcare is the place where there is the most amount of inefficiencies uh, from, from a lot of different angles, right? Oh yeah. And so, kind of, it, it kind of hurts my soul to see a lot of these things happening at such costly, error-prone, and inefficient ways when there are uh, ways to do it using modern technologies that would just make it a lot easier and simpler. And I think it's a little bit more than just uh, cost savings uh, because um, once, once you get um, efficiency down to a level that is manageable, it actually opens up a new class of things that you could contemplate that you couldn't before because it was simply uh, out of the realm of feasibility to try to do um, without a platform. Yeah. So are you up for putting a use case on the table and talking us through it? Yeah, so I, I think um, – we're not exactly stealth mode, but we are working uh, with some. Uh, so we, we are very uh, a very young company. So I, sh I should note that um, our seed financing was completed uh, in December. Mm -hmm. So good, uh, congratulations. Well, uh, in fairness, you. it may be seed financing, but you got some some good some good funds in there. I mean, it's not like you raised money well, from a couple of people on the street. I mean, you got some some big shots in the in the deal, right? Well, yeah. So um, on that note, you know, I, I was um, extremely fortunate to um, have assembled what, what I think actually is a group of uh, some of the world's most sophisticated healthcare tech investors, right? So we've got Flare Capital, NEA, Santa Fe Ventures, um, Shuttle Fund, which is the blocking focus fund and Green Bay Ventures. 
And all of those, I would say, uh, have, have two properties. One, they are well known for being very sophisticated in healthcare tech. The second property, and, and this is where I feel really fortunate, is that um, they are all very, very supportive and helpful uh, for their entrepreneurs, particularly the ones um, that are involved in, in insurism at the board level um, have been just an, an amazing help in helping uh, not just contribute capital to the company, but in helping us, you know, uh, get connected to the right people, opening up their networks to us and helping us think through the strategy. So uh, really fortunate to have assembled this amazing group of investors. Um, but so in terms of use cases, you know, I, I would say, you know, we have about three or four that are kind of in, in uh, very late stages of, of uh, uh, discussion with, with a number of our partners. Um, and I don't want to get too much into detail about exactly what they are for, because, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of, um, we are still trying to keep a little bit of this uh, under wraps. Um, but, you know, kind of in terms of categories, um, we have a, a pilot um, in kind of, uh, what we call a outcomes-based clinical program type of situation where um, it's a combination of an, a traditional outcomes-based contract with a clinical program. Um, we have a pilot going on uh, in kind of a next generation uh, pay for performance uh, type situation where um, we are um, looking at ways to dramatically improve upon uh, the existing P4P infrastructure, which I think everybody would agree is, is can use a lot of help. Can you explain to me what's the existing pay for performance infrastructure? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's kind of like, well, so, so CMS has their version of, uh, of their, the quality measures that they, that they pay on um, and commercial insurers, you know, have their, have kind of um, their own variants that are derived essentially off of the same sort of heat metrics. But um, the idea is to try to incentivize providers to uh, do quote unquote better uh, using uh, uh, financial incentives, right? Um, and the way normalization of is, delivery, right? And then rewards for yeah, exceeding or, yeah. or, or or falling short of the normalization, right? That, that's right. That's exactly right. So, you know, you, you t what it tends to reduce down to in the current implementations is that you have a set of uh, quality measures um, that are defined by, by some committee somewhere. And, and, and there, some of them are, are, are pretty reasonable and, and, and non-controversial. Others, others tend to have these weird quirks. So an example would be a, a quality measure that stipulates that once every calendar year, a, a certain type of patient needs to be given a certain type of test. Um, and the way that, uh, that the majority of these P4P uh, portals, you call, if you will call it, are implemented, if the doctor ordered the test on December 31st, uh, on January 1, the, the dashboard would turn red and say, hey, you forgot to order uh, this test for this patient this calendar year, which is complete nonsense from a clinical perspective, right? Because, um, you know, the, the calendar year is an arbitrary cutoff. Um, so um, there are ways to uh, dramatically improve upon the existing ways in which uh, these uh, P4P dashboards uh, are implemented and the ways in which, in general, uh, payers are thinking about uh, how to uh, in, encourage and incentivize optimal uh, clinical uh, behavior from the physicians. Okay, and and I guess when I go back now, and so I'm I'm going to have to like do a little bit of triangulation maybe to break through your stealth mode here. So I'm going to imitate Mike Wallace if you know who he is from sixty the old sixty <laughs> minutes guy. Yeah. Um, is the is the problem that blockchain is solving is is 
is accessing and aggregating the data necessary to sort of make to to to, to create the algorithms to to determine how the how how the care is being delivered is it getting is it unlocking the data for the purposes of doing this calculation is that one of its purposes absolutely so that is a big part of uh, how we're using the blockchain um i will say that blockchain alone is not sufficient to actually solve that problem right um so we combine it with a number of other technologies and and uh, uh so for example we use secure computation um to provide a uh, unique guarantee to data custodians that uh, we have not seen in the marketplace today. And that is, we can say, look, let's say you're a data owner, you're, you're a provider, you have some data and, and it's yours and you don't want to give it to anybody else because you don't trust anybody else. And for good reason, by the way. Um, um, but you would like to contribute that data in a certain way uh, like for, for a specific type of innovative contract. Um, we are able to tell them that, look, you can contribute your data without actually giving up ownership. Um, and that's using a, a set of, you know, beyond the scope of this uh, interview, but a very sophisticated set of uh, in, uh, technological protocols involving blockchain and secure computation so that we can provide true cryptographic guarantee that their data was only ever used for uh, the specific innovative contract or set of contracts that they want to use it for. And it was never used by anybody else, ever abused. And at any point, if they wanted to, uh, they could stop contributing that data, and we would guarantee that um, uh, that there are no other copies exist out there. So that so using that kind of data, what we call data federation guarantee, uh, as as uh, separate from a data warehousing or data lake type uh, architecture, uh, we find that we're able to um, get a lot of uh, relevant local data contributed to our our uh, engagements. That's very cool. So I'm just going to sum up here. We're sort of getting towards the end. But um, the real the real sort of tying it all together, we want to do innovative contracting beyond fee-for-service. Um, obviously, capitation is a very straightforward way to do it. Here's your money, uh, regardless of what happens, you know. But most of – mostly most providers and, – and, and honestly, there's, you know, there's a theory that – capitation, even capitation to the extent of paying a health insurance company, you know, a fixed fee to, to, to pay for the health care, creates negative incentives for the delivery of care, right? So what, what people are suggesting is, is, you know, let's try to contract around cost and quality, you know, sort of take a lean approach to care that says, uh, you know, you should be able to deliver very good care at low cost if you're a good operator, right? Basically, just in a, in a manufacturing analogy. And in order to create that judgment, you have to be able to judge what an expected outcome is. And the complexity of that, of course, is, is that that requires an evaluation of what the, 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 the likely outcome would be given the fa facts and circumstances, right? In order to make all of those evaluations, you need data. You need to be able to do computations. And then in order to evaluate what should be expected, you have to do computations. And then in order to evaluate whether or not the provider performed better than expectations or worse than expectations, to be quite simplistic about it, right, Peter, uh, you need to be able to create, do computations, and you need data to be able to arrive at all of those things. And there's a reluctance in the system to unleash that data, despite the fact that people believe there's value in this contracting technique, right? And so you're trying to solve that problem and then provide the computational infrastructure to make these contracts run. 
And that's cool. If that's if I get that right, I'm in. I like it. You did. You, you got it exactly right, Steve. So do you want me to join your sales force? Uh... <laughs> sure thing. Uh, all right. So um, so a couple couple just close that, but that's cool. Peter, congratulations for sort of digging in like that and and uh, and, and recognizing uh, that opportunity. I'm really looking forward to following the company. Um, seed stage is the fun stage, right? You guys get to work really pretty much all the time. <laughs> and uh, be careful. You can gain some weight because there's a lot of fast food involved. Um, <laughs> tell me two things and then we'll, and then we'll wrap it up. First, uh, are you enjoying the experience of being, of running a company? This is the first, first one you're actually running, right? That's, that's right. And absolutely. I'm enjoying it. I mean, it's, you know, to, to quote one of my kids, it's nerve sighting, you know, it's, <laughs> it's simultaneously exciting and, and horrifying at the same time, but it's, uh, it's absolutely fun. It's cool. And how many people do you have today? Can you tell us? Um, we'll say, uh, fewer than 10. Let's put it that way. All right, good. So, um, and then I'm sure that you will be, uh, once you begin to sort of see the waters in the marketplace beyond the, the, um, the three or four things that you're, uh, you're in late stages with, you'll be doing some media work, doing some blogging and stuff. So where can people find out about you? How can they stay in touch to follow the company? I know you've got a cool website. Is there anything else? Are you a Twitter guy? So we do we do have a, a Twitter account and, and LinkedIn account and, and a Facebook page and all of that. Those are not super active at the moment. I think um, probably the later half of this year when we start to go a little bit more public with our, our pilot engagement, um, then you'll start to see a little bit more activity on social media. Okay. So uh, until until then, I think they can get go to uh, um, com, right? And then they can, can find out what you're doing and there's a little bit of information um, there. And then maybe if they... Uh, Follow that website. Stuff will start coming up. At, Absolutely. As you sort of unleash the hounds, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, very good. Peter, awesome talking to you. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you spent time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Steve, for having me. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us on this week's Breaking Health Podcast. Thanks also to everyone who has subscribed to the Breaking Health Podcast. If you haven't done so, please do. We'll send future podcasts directly to your listening device. We appreciate it also if you give us some rankings on uh, on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. That helps folks find the podcast. Of course, tell your friends. Let them know what we're discussing here on the Breaking Health Podcast. If you're enjoying it, no doubt they will too. Finally, reach out to me directly. I'm on Twitter. You can be reached at MedTechTom. That is at MedTechTom. You can also find me the old-fashioned way on email, tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y.com. Healthag is the producer of this and many other fine podcasts and great events like the upcoming Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, which is happening on October 11th in Boston. Please register for that sooner rather than later. This one does sell out. Go to dhis.net. To register for the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit, you'll join us in Boston, my hometown. 